Good morning. How's everybody today? You know, every time I sneak up on this podium while we're singing our last song, uh, I'm always afraid that by the time I get on top, there's go one more verse, and I'll be stuck there looking all silly and everything. Uh, oh, there was a preacher that did to me that way one time. Can't remember his name off the top of my head. Yeah, that's it, Charlie West. I must have told this one before. He seen me getting up on the stage, and he he sung an extra verse where he was going to quit, and I had to stand next to him the whole time he led that song. I felt so silly. Before we begin, I want to say just for a moment, uh, we had a great speaker the other day, uh, Brother Don Blackwell. Since that time, it's come to my attention that we've had some uh, concern uh, about some of the goings-on up at Willow Avenue. I don't know exactly what all went on at Willow Avenue. That's, uh, that's their business. There were some people that, well, they got rid of uh, Don uh, for some reason. Uh, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't doctrinal at all. It wasn't because anything was wrong other than uh, preference, preference. But uh, a lot of the folks there at Willow Avenue, they got upset that they let him go, and they went off and they began a, another congregation somewhere up there in Cookville, and uh, they asked Brother Don to come and preach, which he did said he wouldn't do, but uh, he'd come and worship with him when he's in town, which doesn't appear to be very often. But uh, we checked all this out before he was here. Uh, if there's ever anything wrong with a preacher, uh, it's because of, of something that was hidden that we knew absolutely nothing about. This was out in the open, and we vetted it. Uh, all three of us did. Uh, we got our answers. There was no sin involved, at least on Don's part. He chose not to preach the way he was asked to preach, which was his right. If uh, I was told what he was told, uh, I would step down also. You can't do that. We got to live with our conscience, and there's things we can't do. It's not black and white, right or wrong. It's preference. If you prefer to have something different, that's all right. You can do that, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to compromise my convictions uh, to suit anybody. And um, so there's no wrong done on his part. Other people, I don't know what other people did, but as far as Don's concerned, uh, he, to me, he's a faithful gospel preacher, a very good gospel preacher, and uh, I love him very much for his work's sake, and I pray the Lord will bless him mightily in his labors, because he has a great deal of responsibility, and uh, I, I admire him for what he's able to do. I couldn't have done it, uh, but he, he pulled it off, so everything looked good to me. Uh, don't always listen to what you hear. Sometimes you hear twisted versions of everything under the sun. If you ever have a question, just come and ask us. We've had every preacher that comes here, trust me. Uh, we check out our preachers, and uh, we make thing, sure things are good. I, I know preachers years ago, and today they're not faithful any longer, okay? I know you've got to vet out a preacher. And it's good that churches do that, and we do that. 
somebody could slip in. That can happen. Somebody can have a hidden agenda. That can happen. But uh, if there's anything that we can know, we'll, we'll find it out and uh, make our decision whether or not they come based on what we learn. And if there had been anything wrong, he wouldn't have been at Center Grove. So, as far as your elders are concerned, everything is just fine. Okay, I want to talk about something that's very important. It's very simple, very important. Something you can memorize, keep in your, keep in your mind. And I, I guarantee you there's three points. If you follow those three points, you're going to go to heaven and you're going to live with God. It's not hard to do. But we've got to do these three things. This is how Paul lived his life. In Philippians 3, 13 and 14, he said, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, there's three points I want you to uh, commit to memory. Number one, there is recognition, self-recognition in this case. I do not count myself to have apprehended. To apprehend it means to lay hold on, to have obtained, acquired, okay? I have not yet apprehended. What's he talking about? He's talking about the race he's running in his attempt to reach heaven and to live with the Lord Jesus Christ forever. And then he says, I have not yet apprehended that. I'm a saved man, but that doesn't guarantee I'll be saved in the future. At this juncture, we don't know what the future holds. Something could go wrong. There is no guarantee I'm saved. Right now, I stand before you ready to meet my maker. That could be different next year. Something could happen. I could fall away. A lot of things can go wrong. So while I am a saved person, I can't say that I'm going to be saved till the end because I don't know what the future holds. And neither did Paul, and that's what he's saying. I haven't apprehended it. I want it, but I haven't yet apprehended it. Number two, there he says there's one thing I do. Now, this one thing he does is in context of the text, okay? Keep it in the context. The apostles talk about running a race and wanting to win that race. With regards to running that race, he says, one thing I do in this respect, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. <clears throat> Number three, the reward. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what makes us do what we do. We are what we are. We, we're here because we want to receive God's reward. That's what motivates us. That's what moves us. The hope of eternal life over a devil's hell is one of the things that has spurred us on toward salvation. It's not the only thing, but it's one of the things that has moved us to be a Christian, okay? Now, let's build on these three. But those three points right there, if you can keep them in your mind and live by it, you will do well. You know, look what it did for Paul. Number one, he's talking about recognition. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. The key word, of course, is apprehended. Heaven is not uh, a possession. It's a promise. 
Now, I know there's a lot of people that teach that it's a possession, that we have eternal life. No, we don't. We have the promise of eternal life. We have the hope of eternal life. But we don't have eternal life. Not now we don't. Because we can fall, fail miserably before the time comes for us to meet our maker. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, he encourages the saints to run. Let us run, it's a race, with endurance, the race that is set before us. Endurance, don't give out, don't give up. Keep on running. When you feel like you can't run no more, get up and run a little bit further. Just keep on running your race as a Christian. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, he said, Run in such a way that you may obtain the prize. The prize comes later, not before. We're running our race as Christians. We're striving to reach the goal. And, of course, the goal line for us is going to be death. And then when we pass that goal line, we'll receive a reward that will be eternal, not before. I kind of wish, uh, well, the Baptist is one group that teaches that. I kind of wish they were right because that would mean I've got eternal life. I can go do anything I want to do now. But I know that that's not true. A lot of people believe it. That don't make it right. Only the truth sets us free. In John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus, Jesus himself possessed the very same demeanor. Jesus said to his apostles, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. My will is to do the God's will and to do it unto death. He wanted to endure not give up, run his race lawfully, and he did, as we know. And now, in essence, he's telling us to do the same thing. Revelation chapter 2 and 10, speaking to the church at Smyrna, it's a very good church, uh, it's a small church, but a very good church. He said, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Notice, the crown of life comes after death, not before, it's after death. If we run our race lawfully, we will receive the crown of life after we pass that finish line. That's a promise. And it's enough of a promise to make us run with all our might. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, speaking of himself, I have not yet apprehended. Paul went on to say, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified, disqualified for heaven. He knew that, and he said that. I have to keep on running my race, Paul said. You need to run your race. I have to run my race. And if I don't run my race lawfully, then I'll be disqualified from eternal salvation. I can't give up. I can't give in. I've got to keep on going. That's where you and I are. Listen, that's where we are. I was baptized for remission of sins. I had zero sins after I was immersed in water. Since that time, I've accumulated a number of sins along the way because I've done things I wasn't supposed to do. Generally, it's getting angry or spouting off my big mouth, one of the two. And I find myself constantly having to apologize for not having my temperament or my anger, my tongue 
under control. And I have to ask those who are exposed to my wrath and God for forgiveness that those sins can be removed and that I can get back into my race one more time. We haven't obtained heaven. It's not ours. It's something we're striving for. We're hoping for. We're racing for. We're trying to obtain. And we won't be finished until the end of the race. Other people's doctrines sound so much better. And so many people follow them because they do sound so wonderful. But in the day of the judgment, they're going to be sadly disappointed because what they've been taught is not the truth. And Jesus said it's only truth that can set us free. I believe that with all my heart. And I pray you do as well. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, Paul speaking to the Galatians, you have become estranged from Christ. You know what that means. When a husband's estranged from his wife, he's severed. He's moved out. She kicked him out. He can't come back. They're estranged now. They're still married, but they don't live together any longer. She went to the courts, and the courts put a, a, one of these things on them where you can't get so close. Uh, estranged. This is what happened to Christians, according to Paul. You have become estranged from Christ. Some say, well, they weren't really true believers in the first place. How could they be estranged from Christ if they weren't first married to Christ? You have to be married to him before you can become estranged from him. Of course, they were saved people, but they're not now. No, now their relationship has been strained and severed because of their behavior. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. They're no longer in grace, and without grace, there's no possibility of salvation. Paul said, I know I haven't apprehended my reward. I know I haven't got my hands on it. I know I'm saved as I stand today, but I know it's not an eternal possession. No, not yet. And therefore, I run now even more diligently than I ran back in the beginning because now he had so much more knowledge, so much more understanding, so much more to do. And he did it with all of his might. We have not apprehended. Let us run our race strongly. As long as we live in the flesh, we will do the following three things. One, experience haunting failures. I use the word haunting because our failures sometimes haunt us. Some of the failures we've been committed. Some of the sins we've committed. We're so ashamed, so embarrassed by them that they continue to haunt us. It's not good that they haunt us. But what are you going to do? How do you get rid of a memory that you can't get rid of? Well, don't think about it. Well, that's fine. 
But I believe there's something so embedded in our psyche that even though we don't want those thoughts again, they flash back across the screen. And we're reminded of some of the things we've done, even as children of God. As long as we live in the flesh, we're going to experience those failures. And they're going to disturb us. And it's important that we know how to deal with it. We'll talk about it in a moment. Number two, strive to overcome our fleshly desires. Living in a, a body, an earthen vessel, uh, makes it uh, very challenging for a spiritual person. It doesn't mean you're evil because you're subjected to temptations. That don't make you evil. As long as you live in a body, you're going to be subjected to temptations. There's no way around it. That's the way it works. That's the way it's got to be. That's the way it was designed to work. Because by overcoming our temptations, and we do overcome more now than we did 30 years ago. We get better at overcoming temptations. We become closer to the Lord over the years by perfecting ourselves, changing our minds and our thoughts, our thinking. But it takes time, a lot of time, depending on what you've got going on in your head. But even when you feel like maybe I should be at the top of the mountain as a child of God, you realize again, you're still flesh and blood because you sin. You might be 80 years old and still sin, usually by what we talk about, right? The mouth, the mouth. Oh, my. Read the Facebook sometime. Oh, my. See, Christians, oh my, what they write on the Facebook is horrible, horrible. And to think that comes from the heart of a child of God absolutely breaks my heart because something isn't working, something isn't going right in that person's life. We'll talk about that another day. But we have to strive to overcome our fleshly desires and then finally we have to struggle to understand the will of God and it's a struggle don't let anybody tell you it's not it is I've been studying this book for a lot of years and I've studied pretty pretty long and hard through those years and there's so much I know that I do not understand there's so much that I, I can't fathom I, I can't wrap my mind around it because it's so big. But we do the best that we can do. We keep on keeping on. We keep learning. And every time we learn, we get just a little bit closer to our understanding of God. But we're never going to fully understand. Not in this world. Maybe in the next. I don't know. I've never been there before but not in this world. It's going to be an effort. Secondly, he talked about resolution. Brethren, the one thing I do, remember this is in regards to a race. This is the only thing Paul ever did. He preached the gospel for one thing, 
One thing I do, though, in regard to the race I run, I forget those things which are behind. Well, that's a tall order. And I reach forward to those things which are ahead. I want to talk first about forgetting. We have to forget past successes. Paul was a, a, a Hebrew of the Hebrews in his own words. He was uh, one of the primary principals in Jerusalem as a Pharisee one time. He was uh, ready to be a member of the Sanhedrin. It could have been his, I suppose, had he willed to do so. But he was a learned man. He was a devout man. He was dedicated to doing what he thought he ought to do as a faithful child of God. And he did it with all of his might to the best of his ability. He had attained so many degrees, so many accomplishments, so many awards hung on his walls in his house. He was a champion of the Jewish people. He said, I forget all that stuff. That stuff means nothing at all. In Philippians 3 again, the apostle said, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, speaking of all his accomplishments as a Pharisee, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. There wasn't a Jew that held a candle to this man. He was chief among all his brethren, and he's pointing that fact out. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church of Christ. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I am blameless. I did nothing wrong according to my conscience. I did nothing wrong. I did everything I was taught to do and faithful in so doing. Yet indeed, he continues, I count all things lost. All that stuff, forget about it. It's lost, it's past, it's history, it's over. I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, trash, all of his efforts, all of his accomplishments meant nothing. Now he had a relationship with Jesus Christ, and it superseded anything he had ever done in his life. There was no greater title, there was no greater honor the man possessed than that he was a Christian. He just forgot about it. Sometimes people have a hard time forgetting about the past. Sometimes people continue to tout the past, how wise they are, how knowledgeable they are, how many years they've spent in school, loud and proud, but it's all for naught. He forgot his past failures. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, he said, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul believed not only was he principal among the Pharisees, he was principal among the sinners. He learned what sin was. He learned that whereas he had been 
murdering the children of God just because they were Christians. He learned that he was wrong. He was, in fact, an agent of Satan destroying the people of God. Paul had so much he had to look over in his own life. I know these things had to haunt that man. I wonder how many times the name Stephen came up in his mind. He said, of all the sinners, I'm the chiefest sinner of all. While it may sound good to confess our faults, confessing our faults over and over and over and over could be an obstacle. I think many Christians, good people, faithful people, I think they're held back by memories of their past, the things they've done, the sins they've committed. If you knew what I've done, you, you would have nothing to do with me. I think sometimes because those things of the past haunt our minds, that sometimes people don't achieve what they could achieve because they're held back by their own memories. You've got to forget the past. Those things are done. They're over. They're finished. There's nothing you can do about it. That was yesterday's news. Today, we're a new creature. We're starting over. Those sins were washed away. And now, to the best of our ability, we strive to walk with the Son of God. Those who have committed what we would think of as horrible sins sometimes are more inclined to work more diligently to help others, especially those who are looking for a way to live in this world. But at the same time, I fear that there may be more who are held back because I'm not good enough. And that's very sad. We have to trust divine grace, and that's so hard to do. That sounds silly, don't it? But, you know, it's hard to trust grace. It just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right that God would just forgive me of all the things I've ever done. That, that doesn't seem fair. Surely I ought to be punished, beaten, put in jail or something. But by grace, those things that we are guilty of have been removed. And we get a second chance at life. It's hard to take grace. We, we're not raised that way. We earn what we get. We've been taught that from childhood. If you want something special, you've got to work for it. And then grace is freely given. It's hard to accept. It's hard to believe. But we have to learn to trust that God's grace is true. Forget past wounds. Well, that can be hard too. 
Paul said, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. It's hard to forgive someone who has done you wrong. It's hard. And the wronger they've done you, the harder it is to forgive it and turn loose of it. I used to think I would never be able to do it. I tried and couldn't. I didn't know if anybody really could forgive a person from the heart who pleaded for our forgiveness. Why should I? After what they've done to me, why should I? Well, Paul would say, look what Jesus did for you. He took away your sins. Are you too good to follow in master's footsteps? It's hard, oh, so hard to forgive people that have wronged us and done so intentionally. It's easier to be angry, to want vengeance, seek revenge. I found, for me at least, the easiest way to deal with that issue was to keep in mind that no matter what this individual does, doing their 70 or 80 years on this earth. And the last day, they're going to go to a devil's hell. There'll be no second chances then. There'll be no opportunities. And I learned that when I thought about somebody that I hated, I learned instead to feel pity for them because they didn't understand what was down the road. I didn't have to be angry. The anger of the Lord was going to do that. I didn't have to be angry. I could be free from my anger and not be troubled by the wounds of the past. Jesus said, if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, forget past desires. It's very hard to do if you're an alcoholic. It's very hard to do for a person who's a womanizer. All of us have a besetting sin. The Hebrew author in chapter 12 verse 1 tells us to set it aside. We have a besetting sin. Something that is particularly attractive to me but it may not be attractive to you. I may be tempted by this while you're tempted by that. You don't understand my temptation and I don't understand your temptation. But we all have a besetting sin. That which is our worst enemy. We have to put those things behind us. Forget about it, not think about it, not ponder it. When it comes to mind, put it right back out of the mind. Think on something different, something lovely, something pure. In Matthew 5, 28, Jesus said, I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You don't have to commit adultery. You just have to lust. Lust. A person who's tempted by flesh has got something he has to deal with. Every time his mind starts to roam, he's got to shut it down and rid himself of those thoughts. Have to forget 
past desires. Forget our besetting sin. Otherwise, it will become a millstone around our necks and we'll lose our own souls. Our Lord said, from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, and murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. Where does it come from, Lord? From the heart. Lust comes from the heart. Whether we lust for the things of the world, for human flesh, or we possess the pride of life, we can't just blame it on the flesh because the Lord said it generates in our hearts. And how can God live in my heart if I don't keep my heart swept and clean? Paul had to forget past desires. All these evil things, Jesus said, come from within the heart. And these are the things that will defile you. We have to forget our past errors. Woo! I just uh, admitted to one the other day. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty good at admitting my past errors. I got a bunch of them. It doesn't worry too. I, I don't. It doesn't bother me anymore. I hate it that I make errors. Okay, but I have no pride whatsoever when it comes to admitting that I did. Uh, I expect myself to make errors. I expect myself to be wrong. I expect myself to fail because these things are going to happen. And it's going to happen to all of us. But we can't let it beat us down. We've got to forget our past errors. Repent and get back in the race. Philippians 3.13, Paul said, One thing I do, forget those things which are behind. Those are anchors to the soul. All they do is weigh us down. <clears throat> forget past neglects. How many of us haven't neglected our responsibilities as a child of God? Are there any of us? I know I can't raise my hand. Sometimes we're negligent. Sometimes, oh, sometimes we're just not seeking the Lord like we know we ought to. Something's gone wrong. Something's amiss. The fire isn't there. I don't have the desire. It seems to be burning out of me. What can I do? One thing I do, Paul said, stretching forward to the things which are before. Paul continuously strove to do the will of God. That's what he means by stretching forward. Like a runner, he stretched forward with all of his might, doing what he could to win the race. And sometimes that's what we have to do. Sometimes we get complacent. Sometimes we've lost interest. Sometimes we just don't care like we once cared. The fire's gone. Well, what do you do in a case like that, Paul? You stretch yourself out and you continue to run your race. You don't give in to it. You don't neglect your responsibilities. You go after them like a dog on a bone doing everything in your power to please the Lord. I press on toward the goal under the prize. <clears throat> fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, Paul wrote. We are all subject 
to become neglectful in our prayer life, church attendance, oh, so many things we can neglect. Visiting our neighbors, helping our neighbors, training our families. There's so many ways we can neglect our responsibilities. And when we realize that we're doing that, instead of just say, oh, well, we need to repent. And be what we once were. So many times when Christians think about what they felt like when they became a Christian and examine their self today, they realize that they haven't followed the path they intended to follow when they became a Christian. They realize they're, they're not behaving like a true disciple of Christ at all. I want to go through the motions. They go to church and all that churchy stuff. But that's all. Strive to enter through the narrow gate, Jesus said. Strive. You can say agonize. Agonize. Try with all your might till the sweat's running from your forehead. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able are part of those many here with us today? Are there some today who know in their hearts that something's amiss? We know it. We may not want to deal with it, but we know it. And more importantly, God knows it. Do not become sluggish, the Hebrew author pleaded, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. They trust God and they are patient. They are patiently enduring life, waiting for the end to arrive. But they weren't sluggish. Not at all. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. As, as some people do. They do forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Don't be like them. You, as an individual, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. These meetings are important. They're very important. Some will, but we are to exhort one another, encourage, admonish, plead with, trying to get one and all to be diligent in their service to the Lord. And even more so, as you see the day approaching, he's talking about the fall of Jerusalem in his context. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive his promise. The promise comes after the race is finished. Not before. Uh-uh. No. Number three, there is the reward. Of course, we know what that is. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> I'm going to stop there. Because I think we all know where this last point goes. 
it's imperative that we always keep the goal in, in front of our minds. That's what we're working toward. That's what keeps us running our race is because of the goal we see before us, what we can accomplish, what we can achieve, as opposed to what we'll have if we become neglectful or anything else. I want to go to heaven. And I trust that you do too. I know we can go to heaven. I don't have a doubt about it. I know that if we faithfully execute the will of God as we know how to do, I know we're going to go to heaven. God wants us in heaven. He wants us with him. He doesn't need us. He wants us. And he works for us. Doing what needs to be done in our lives providentially. So that when we come to the end, heaven will be ours. Most people are going to die. Not once, but twice. And there's nothing worse than that. Nothing. Nothing at all. And what breaks my heart the most is it doesn't have to be that way. And I know that too. Look in your heart. If you're not a Christian, if you are a Christian, look in your heart. You know yourself. You know your heart. I don't know. But you know. How do you feel about Jesus Christ? Is it just a name? Or is there a person that you love, that you want to honor? Don't, don't cast away your confidence. Please. If you're not a Christian, you are to believe that Jesus is the Christ. <clears throat> Repent of your sins. Confess him before men. Be immersed in water for forgiveness. As children of God, thank God we can ask our Father to forgive us for our slothfulness. And he shall.